Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Uh, we're going to continue our sermon series this morning, and I don't really have a, a, a nice, uh, beautiful title for the series. We've just been calling it The Lost. We want to talk about the lost. And so we're reading from Luke chapter 15. There are three parables uh, that Jesus shares in his sermon in Luke chapter 15. And it's all about lost things. We kicked off last week uh, by talking about the lost. Do you guys remember this? We talked about the lost sheep. If you were here last week, say, I was here. Do you remember it? Did you remember it on Monday? That's how you can measure the quality of a message. Does anybody care about it on Tuesday? It was still blessing me on Wednesday. Maybe that's because I preached it, but it was still blessing me midweek. And I'm praying this message does the same because we're going to continue on into the second parable that Jesus gave in Luke 15. And that is about the lost coin. Okay, the lost coin. So if you can open up your Bible to Luke chapter 15, I'm going to read only Three verses of scripture to get us started, but I have so much scripture today. Are you guys okay with a deluge of Bible? If you're okay with a showering of scripture, say amen. <laughs> See how many weather terms I can work into this sermon today. So Luke chapter 15, verse 8 through 10, we're going to read this parable about the lost coin. It says, or what woman? Notice that uh, Jesus started by talking about a shepherd who was a guy. And now he's shifting gears here. And he's giving us another parable, which includes a woman, which I think is cool. Jesus always includes everybody. Amen. Just a thought. Having ten silver coins. Everybody say, that's a lot. That's a lot. He's got ten coins. That's kind of a lot of coins. Ten silver coins. If she loses one coin, everybody say one coin. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently? Everybody say passionately. Until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, Jesus said, there is joy, everybody say joy, before the angels of God over, how many? One sinner who repents. So this morning I want to uh, talk to you from the topic that God's in the restoration business. All right. <laughs> Couldn't come up with any catchier title. But God is in the restoration business. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you're in the restoration business. Lord, I thank you that you're good at restoring our souls. You're a professional at restoring our spirits. You're so faithful to restore everything that the enemy has attempted to steal from us. Lord, we thank you for that faithfulness, for that grace, for that goodness. 
Lord, we're, we're thankful that when we were lost, you came seeking us passionately to restore us. And you've seated us in heavenly places with you today. We thank you for this. And we bless you this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. So I, I love this parable. And uh, I love doing research on this parable. Um, this one here doesn't get a whole lot of action as it pertains to sermons, to be honest with you guys. Most people just skip the lost coin. They go from the lost sheep. They skip the lost coin because it's only three uh, small scriptures there. And they go right into the lost son, which praise God we're going to talk about next week on Easter. How many of you are excited about Easter? How many of you know that people are... Uh, 242% more likely to go with you to church when you ask them on Easter. I just made up that statistic, I'm going to be honest. But isn't that the case, though? No. Like, if you ask people to go to church on Easter, they will, they'll go. So who are you going to ask? Look at your neighbor say, who are you going to ask? Oh, see, so you guys didn't want to do that. Come on, look at your neighbor say, who are you going to ask? It's important. You know why? Because Jesus is passionately in pursuit of his lost coins. And so perhaps the person you're thinking about right now, the person that you're going to get nudged by the Holy Spirit to invite this week, is one of those lost coins that Jesus is in pursuit of and will restore right here next Sunday morning at church as a lost son or a daughter. And so we're... I want you to bring your lost friends. I want you to bring your neighbors. I want you to bring people whom you know need to hear a gospel message because that's exactly what we're going to do here next week at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. You guys are not that excited about three services. You guys must be the group that are serving at all three. I have respect for you triple dippers. I love it. But this lady that Jesus is giving us a picture of has a lot of coins. She has 10, count them, 10 coins, so many coins. And so you would think that losing one out of the 10 shouldn't really be that big of a deal at all, right? I mean, if you have 10 of something and you lose one, you can kind of get over it. I don't know. That's my thoughts. You know, when my kids have a lot of the same toy or you know, something they're playing with, it's like they lose one. I'm like, what's the big deal? You lost one. You got so many more. Just play with the other nine. You know what I'm talking about? And so you, we could actually uh, look at this lady and think to ourselves, what's wrong with you? You got an abundance. You have so much. You have so many coins. Why is it that you are stressing out, going crazy, Lighting a lamp, searching the house, sweeping the place clean, looking for one coin. You have so many others. Is, is one really all that significant? It's just a question that I have when I read this. And then I, I, I did a little bit more research because I was interested in how much the coin was worth. You ever think about that before? You're like, you see this lady passionately pursuing this one coin, and you're thinking, if she had nine others, this one coin has to be worth a lot of money, right? But upon further study, I realized that this one coin was actually what is called a drachma. Everybody say a drachma. I think that's how you say it. 
in Greek, a drachma. And so I was like, how much, Google, is a drachma worth in, in modern, you know, currencies? Guess what I found? 20 cents. <laughs> 20 cents. If you were not questioning the woman's sanity before, you're definitely questioning, you know, her sanity now. Lady, you are freaking out over a coin that is worth less than a quarter. What in the world is your problem? You're waking up half the neighborhood in search of something that really does not hold that much value. It's just one coin. That's what you might be thinking reading this passage. That's what the people listening to Jesus speaking might be thinking. It's just one coin. This lady is absolutely unreasonable. You guys picking up what Jesus is laying down here. What an unreasonable lady. Why would she passionately pursue just one? It's literally just one. It's just a coin. It may mean nothing to us today, but to the woman that lost that one coin, that one coin meant the world. It's just one coin. I was looking this week also on Google for lost things, and I learned that um, NASA lost the original footage of the moon landing in 1970. <laughs> I'm like, okay, now the conspiracy theories just <laughs> picked up all kinds of momentum in my mind. And, you know, I took that rabbit trail and I ended up watching like NASA footage from C-SPAN in 1982 for like an hour. But, you know, you might be thinking, it's just one picture. But to NASA, that picture means the world, or in this case, the moon. Just one coin, just one picture. Okay, well, what if it's just one person? I mean, when we hear about lost people, and there are a whole lot of agencies that, that, that search and recover lost people. I don't know if you know this or not, but I discovered this this week as well. Some of these companies, these agencies are public. The government provides those uh, to U.S. citizens. And then some of these agencies are private and you can actually hire people and pay them a lot of money to search for people and they will go and they will find them. Now, when we get an Amber Alert on our phone or we're driving along 65 and we see the name and the picture of a lost person, we might just think, oh, well, that's another name on a billboard. That's another face uh, on a page. But if you were that little girl's mama, you wouldn't be thinking, oh, that's just a lost person. If you were that little boy's daddy, you, you wouldn't be thinking, oh, that, that's just another, that's just one lost person. But in reality, we have been so numbed up to the reality of just one person being lost, of just 
one soul that's gone missing, of just one sheep that's wandered away from the sheepfold. And, and I started recognizing that the passion of the woman in the story is the same passion that I would feel if my son was lost or one of my daughters were lost. And you might look at me and say, man, you got two more. <laughs> How many people you think have looked at Jesus, watched him on the cross? You got like millions more. I mean, after all, our culture doesn't really place a ton of value on one life. Our society doesn't see one person and, and you don't think about, oh, this person is so valuable. It's just one person, right? So how much value does one person really have? You know, I started thinking about that this week and I remembered, I remembered one person. And I wanted to show you a picture of this one girl. And uh, this girl right here, uh, you obviously don't know her name. And uh, you don't know exactly where she's from, but you would look at the photo and look at her wardrobe and say, oh, well, she's probably from India. You don't know how old she is. You don't know her story. You don't know anything about this one person, right? And so we could be tempted to brush it off today and say, okay, that's just a cool picture. You obviously took that from some stock photo site. But that's not the case. I actually know this girl. This girl's name is Anitha. All right, so... When I met Anitha, she was probably about 12 years old. Although when I asked her how old she was, she didn't know. Her parents had trafficked her, sold her into slavery to work in a rock quarry. And I'll show you a picture of the rock quarry here. This is where I found her. And this is a lot of other children that are in the same situation that have been trafficked that are being used as forced laborers, slaves in the nation of India to sort slate rock all day. And there's another picture as well. Some of the boys here. These are pictures that we took, our team, whenever I was a missionary to India. And Anitha, you can go back to that first photo. Uh, this little girl here, um, when we asked her about her life, uh, she told us that her parents had sold her into that situation. She had no idea how long she'd been there, had no idea how old she was. Uh, she had three older sisters at one point in time, but they had all committed suicide as a result of the atrocities that they were facing in that mine. They were working all day on one meal and then being abused as prostitutes that night. Now, where I was working, it's a state called Andhra Pradesh. And in that state of India, there are 8 million Anithas. But, but how many of us even stop for 30 seconds out of any given day of the year to think about the one lost person? I mean, right? Let's be honest. I'm not taking an offering after this. Don't worry. Okay. I'm not going to ask you to sponsor a kid. I, I, I want to make a point. Because when I met Anitha, I told her, we're going to get you out of this situation. And she didn't believe us because other people had come along and said the same thing. But I refused to be somebody that came to her, met her, spoke in the name of Jesus, and then let her down with some type of false hope. And so we went and talked to the guy who owned her, essentially. And we negotiated a price 
for her freedom. Now, I'm not going to share with you the entire story. There's a lot to this story. A lot of things happen. It was very crazy at another time. I'll tell you more missionary stories, okay? Not many of you guys know about this season of my life. But we were able to take Anitha home with us. And uh, we took not only her, but also another little boy. Both of them were infected with HIV AIDS. Both of them. And it was, I think, somewhere around $8,000 that we spent negotiating and, and creating an opportunity for this little girl to come home with us. Now, in that season of my life, I traveled quite a bit. I would speak on university campuses about human trafficking. I would speak in different churches, youth groups, um, you know, events, fundraisers, that sort of thing. And you guys would not believe the measure of resistance that I met when I would share this story about spending $8,000 to rescue two kids. So for the sake of the example, let's just say $4,000 for the sake of one kid. And the thing, and I, I, I prayed through the whole thing. That's what I felt like the Holy Spirit led us to do, was to negotiate that way. And there's a lot more to the story. We ended up rescuing over 400 kids like Anitha during the season that I spent in India as a missionary. Praise God. 400 kids from human trafficking. But it all, it all started with her. And the thing that kept going over and over and over in my spirit as we were praying about how to rescue her was what is the price of one life? You know, what is one person really worth? What is one little girl, you know, anonymous up until that point in my life, really her lifeblood, so to speak? You know, what kind of sacrifice is it worth to rescue just one little girl? I remember when God called me into the work of, you know, anti-human trafficking, human trafficking aid. I had a vision in California in 2009. And I felt like I'd just received this prophetic word from this girl about feeding 100,000 kids every day. And I was so overwhelmed by that prophecy. I was like, Lord, how in the world could I ever feed 100,000 kids in one day? There is no way that that's possible. I don't even know where 100,000 hungry kids are. <laughs> you ever been like that before the Lord after a prophetic word? You're like complaining that you got a good word, you know? <clears throat> I don't have what it takes to do that, you know. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, uh, you can rescue and feed 100,000 kids if you're willing to give your life for one. And this is what we see Jesus so consistently do throughout the Gospels is he stops for just one. He, he, he would go back to the cross if he could for just one. He, he would give his whole life for just one. He would give all of his blood for just one. He would put everything on pause for just one. He would say, uh-uh, uh, clear my schedule. I'm going to get out the broom. I'm going to start sweeping the house until I find just one. I I'm going to take whatever it requires. I'm going to light the candle, and I'm going to stay up until I find just one. Even when culture says just one is not really that valuable. No, i got to have this one. Even, even when culture says uh, you know, you got so many others. Is it really worth the time? Jesus said, no, no, for this one. And that's the, that's the, that's the picture that he's giving us uh, through this illustration in Luke chapter 15 is that he is dispassionate about just one. So many people told me it's absurd 
This search is absolutely absurd that you do all this, spend all this money. Um, but what if Anita was your daughter? You know, what if Anita was your sister? What if Anita was your niece, your granddaughter? She, she was once lost, but praise God, I'm able to testify and say she was found. She was once in great darkness, but I'm able to testify and say, praise God, she was restored. She was once sick in her body, but today I'm able to testify, praise God, she was healed. And some of you guys are unsure of what I mean by that, but we took her back to the hospital two months after she was with us in our children's homes. And the doctor had initially told us we had done a stupid thing by rescuing her. Really, that's what he said. And then he tested her and said, well, I'm confused because her body is doing the opposite of what a body should do that's infected with HIV AIDS in the final stage. She's actually gaining weight. She's eating food. She has an appetite. Like God is in the restoration business. He is in the business of restoring people and he wants to restore every single person not he doesn't he doesn't neglect the random person that you see on the street corner that's you know selling the contributor he doesn't neglect the random billionaire that you think doesn't need anything because he has so much no no he wants that person he wants everybody it doesn't matter the season that you're in doesn't matter what you're going through doesn't matter what your past looks like Jesus is actively passionately in seek of the lost coins Second Peter 3 and 9 says, He is patient with you, not wanting any... Come on, you'll help me preach this. Not wanting any one to perish, but every one to come to repentance. We can never look at one person and say, Ah, they're going to hell. But how quickly do we give up on the people that Jesus is sweeping the house for? <laughs> ah, I've done enough. <laughs> I, 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 the, the, the grace is gone. <laughs> this is too heavy. The, the, the uh, New Living Translation of the same scripture says, he does not want anyone to be destroyed. Everybody say destroyed. Because really, truthfully, that's what it means to be lost. Being lost is like being destroyed every day. Maybe you've never been lost before. I've been lost before. I know what it feels like to be desperate in isolation. <laughs> you guys know my testimony in here. I know what it feels like to be lost. I can guarantee you that what the Bible is communicating is accurate. It's like you're destroyed every single day. And God doesn't want anybody to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. John 18 and 9. I did not lose a single one of those that you have given me. This is how Jesus pulls his disciples to himself. He wants every single one. And guess what? He's so good. He's so good. I did not lose any one of those. Which is so interesting that he prays that in the garden just before all of them desert him. I think he was aware of something that the disciples 
weren't. That his arm was not too short to save. That he was well able to restore despite any of the circumstances of the disciples. He was well able to bring Peter back despite him cussing and ranting and declaring he didn't even know Jesus. He was well able to bring them all back despite they all ran away. This is Jesus. Let me, let me show you uh, what lost means in the Greek in the Bible in the New Testament. It's, um, I'm not going to get the word right, but it's apolumai, something or the other. If I got a Greek scholar in here, come afterward and correct me so I can get it better than the 11. But it means to destroy. It means to ruin. It means to cause destruction. It means to fail to obtain, to lose everything that you possess, to be led astray. How many of you have ever read the book of Revelation? You know that weird book at the end of your Bible? Well, in the book of Revelation, there's actually a name for Satan. What is his name? Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, Apollon, the destroyer. That's where the word lost comes from in the Greek. It comes from literally one of Satan's names. Here is, you know, we need to be aware of this. The Bible teaches us very clearly that Satan is on a mission himself, which is to steal, which is to kill, which is to destroy. Amen. You guys read this? And that's why the Bible says his name is destroyer. His very identity is the one that pursues people with passion to cause them to be in a condition of lostness. That's what the enemy does. But even the more so effective than Satan is at destroying, Jesus is at restoring. See, you know, Satan, he, he's, a, he's a counterfeiter. <laughs> he's an imitator. He tries to do the exact opposite of all the good things that God wants to do in your life. And he knows that God is on a mission. He's sweeping the house. He's lit the candle. He's looking for every single lost one. He's looking to restore. So Satan's trying to make sure that the lost people stay lost. Cause destruction, fail to obtain, lose everything that one possesses to be led astray. This is the mission of the enemy. He's a destroyer, but God is a restorer. Amen. Jesus is the restorer of lost things. Now let's look at the Greek at the word restore. It means to bring back or to put back into a former or original state, returning the possessions of someone. Come on. I'm ready to see a return of everything that Satan has tried to steal from me. <laughs> oh, I wish I had time to go down that rabbit trail, but we don't. Returning the possessions of someone, bringing healing, rebuilding what was destroyed. This is what Jesus does. Satan leads people into a condition of lostness, but Jesus leads people into a condition of restoration. Jesus restores. If you're in here with a lost heart, Jesus wants to restore you. Jesus restores those who have lost direction in their life. You don't know which way to go in your life, Jesus is here to restore lost 
direction. People who have lost significance. Jesus is here to restore your identity, your value, your worth, and your significance. People who have lost opportunities. Jesus is here to restore opportunities to you. People who have lost Him, lost God. Jesus is here to restore to you your relationship with God. It may not have made any sense for that woman to go on that wild goose chase in the middle of the night for one lost coin. But God's love is just as incomprehensible. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind. It seems foolishness to the world, but that is the message of the power of the cross, Paul said. It seems like foolishness to the world. Look at this prodigal God. Look at this spendthrift father. This is not wise. This is silliness that he would give up heaven and all of his benefits as God. Yet he did not count himself as equal with God. That he humbled himself and he came to earth as a man so that he could bankrupt heaven to find you. God is a restorer. This is what Jesus does. And he does so not reluctantly. He does so with a spirit of love. And we need to know what God's love does. Let me give you some points on what God's love does. First, let's look at the scripture, 1 John 4 and 8 through 10. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Notice the Bible says God is love, not love is God. We get into trouble going down that path. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. If you ever wanted a definition of love, you just look at the cross. I wonder what love really is. Look at the cross. I wonder what love looks like in public. Look at the cross. I wonder what it really means to love somebody you don't like. Look at the cross. <laughs> That's what, that's what 1 John 4 is telling us. That God sent his only son into the world that we might live. Live, not be lost, not die, but live through Jesus. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first. And he sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. <laughs> this is the gospel. Are we still excited about the gospel? Amen. God's love is so different than human love. You know, our love by comparison to God's love is so fickle, isn't it? So emotional. But God's love finds no basis in feelings or emotions. Meaning, he's not up one day and down the next. Well, you know, I love her today because she's been doing well and going to small group. And I can't stand her today because she's been listening to hip-hop. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about because if we'll all admit it, we thought to ourselves before, oh, God's love is up and down. No, no. God's love is the most stable thing in your life. It's so consistent. He's so faithful. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. He doesn't love you because you make him feel good, although you do. God loves you. I love what Graham Cook said. God loves you. Because he loves you. <laughs> because he loves you. And he just keeps going. I can't do his accent. 
because he loves you, because he... All right, let me give you a couple points, all right, about what God's unconditional love is, all right? It's not real points, it's letters, because I got real points after this. But I'm going to go quick. A, God's unconditional love is undeserved. You can write this down. This will help you. We are not worthy of God's love, but he gives it to us anyway. We get that from Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. God's unconditional love in your life is absolutely 100% undeserved. You couldn't do anything to earn it, therefore you really can't do anything to lose it. God's love is the most consistent thing in your world. B, God's conditional, lo unconditional love is unearned. You are not owed God's love, and yet God gives it to you anyway freely. This is Ephesians 1. To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted. Everybody just say, I am, I am. accepted in the Beloved. According to his glorious grace. Nothing that you did impressed him so much that he decided to give you his love. But because he put you in himself. Oh, this is good. On the cross, you have been accepted, not rejected. God is in the res restoration business. All right, see. God's unconditional love is unaffected by our past. <laughs> did, did you know that God is fully aware of everything you've ever done wrong in your past and he loves you as though he is not? <laughs> like he saw the beginning from the end. He saw the end from the beginning. He knew how many times you were going to mess up to get to today. And he loved you like he was completely oblivious of your past. Hmm. That's, that's Romans 8 right there. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, no floods. I told you I was going to work it into the sermon today. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. God's unconditional love is unaffected by our past. Also, get this, next one, unaffected by our future. Now, this is a brain teaser right here because, listen, God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author and the finisher. Not only is God aware of all of the mistakes that you've made in your past, God is already aware of every mistake that you will make in your future, and he still loves you the exact same way today. Oh, I know it's restorative to think about your past in that way, and we oftentimes look into the future and we pro project ourselves as perfect. Oh, I'm never going to mess up again. You're going to mess up again. You're going to sin again. You're going to sin against somebody again. And yet Jesus is looking well aware of your future and saying, I love you like 
I'm not. God's unconditional love is the most consistent thing in your life. E, it is unending. There's no expiration date on God's love in your life. Isaiah 49, can a woman forget a nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Get this. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. A prophetic picture of the nail. You got to understand that when he looks at the scars in his hands, he doesn't just, oh, there's, there's the place of my wounding. No, he, he thinks about you. That was worth it, he says. Because I got her. Because I got him. Last F, it's unfailing. <laughs> that's, that's 1 Corinthians right there. Very short passage. Love never God's love in your life is absolutely unfailing. Get this, God is always able to supply you with more love. If you ever feel that you are in need of love, you just tell him, guess what? His love is unfailing. His love is unending. I guess I better get to my points, huh? But how many of you have been reminded right now of God's great love for you. Come on, you should walk out of this place today with your head held high, thinking, "Woo, I'm so loved. It doesn't even make sense how loved I am, but I'm so loved. God loves you that much, which is why he's so passionate about restoring you. It doesn't matter where you're at, God is actively looking today to restore you. Jesus always comes for what the enemy has stolen. He always comes to rebuild the ruined areas in your life. Your marriage is not too far gone. Your relationship with your kids is not too far gone. Your money is not too far gone. There's nothing in your life that God said, TKO, it's over. If I remember correctly, he was able to get to Lazarus' tomb three days after the fact when his sister said, don't even open it up, man. It's, it's so far gone, it smells. There's some things in our lives right now that really stink. We're like, mm -mm, I just got to get away from that. Even that. <laughs> Jesus is well able to resurrect and restore. Even that. That's why Psalm 80 verse 3 says, Restore us, O God, and make your face shine on us that we may be saved. It's absolutely biblical for you to look at the dead things in your life for you to look at the lost things in your life and to pray to the Father, Father, restore me. Restore me. Restore this part of my heart. Restore this part of my life. Isaiah 42, 22. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons and they have become plunder with none to rescue. Spoil with none to save restore, restore, restore. This is part of our assignment as God's people in the city of Nashville and whatever city you're from watching today online. This is part of our assignment that we look out on the lost, that we look out and we see people searching for their coins, that, that we look out and we see the grandmother looking for the grandson that's high in the street somewhere, that we talk to the single mom that has lost their daughter 
that we talk to the guy who's on death row, that we talk to the person who is without hope, and we say with them, restore God, restore, restore. This is part of our assignment. This is part of our purpose as people of God. Restore. Look at your people. They've been plundered. Look at your city. It's been looted. Restore. This is what we do. This is why it's such a small thing for us to simply invite somebody to church on Easter. This is part of us saying, restore. Restore. God wants to restore his people. Let me give you just a couple points and I'm finished. And it's going to be fast. They're short points. Number one, God wants to restore your life. He wants to restore your life. If you are lost or something in your life is lost, let me tell you, God wants to restore your life. That's Ruth chapter 4 verse 15. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. <laughs> That's ministering to somebody right now. <laughs> you may be thinking, man, I, I, I haven't been right since my youth. Good news. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. Number two. God wants to restore your soul. Psalm 51, 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit so that I'm sustained. And we all know this one, don't we? Psalm chapter 23, verse 3, it says, He restores my soul. This is what God does in our lives. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. If you need your soul restored, if you need your inner reality, if you need your inner world restored, if you need your thoughts restored, if you need your mind restored, if you need your dream life restored, if you need everything that you dwell on each and every day restored, guess what? God is in the restoration business. Everything might look right on the outside, but you might need some restoration on the inside. Here's the gospel. God's in the restoration business. Number three is... He wants to and He will and He can restore your health. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 17, But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. Man, this is good. Number four, He wants to restore your reach. This is somewhat symbolic, but he wants to restore your reach. Matthew chapter 12. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. I know that for some of us in here, we may feel like our impact has been stolen. Our ability to make a difference, our ability to contribute, our, ab our ability to provide, maybe for our kids, maybe for our family. Uh, our reach has been robbed from us, but God is in the restoration business. He is able to restore your reach. He's able to restore your impact. Number five, restore your vision. Let's go. This is the last point. Number five, he's able to and he wants to and he will restore your vision. Mark chapter eight said, once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. That could be about now or that could be about what's next in your life. But some of us in here, no doubt, need to see more clearly again. Maybe you're having trouble getting a good understanding of what's going on in your world. Man, I just don't see it clearly. 
I just don't have the wisdom to break it down like I need. Listen, God is in the restoration business. He will restore your vision, not only for what's now, but for what's next. You might be thinking, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know how to build the thing God's called me to. I don't know how to start the career that I'm dreaming about, that I know that God's all over. God is able to restore your vision. God is in the restoration business. Amen? God is in the restoration business. Amen? Everybody say it with me. God is in the restoration business. And so I don't know what you need restoration for today, but I would like to close by praying over you. I don't know if you need restoration in your life, restoration in your soul, restoration in your health, restoration in your reach, or restoration in your vision. And some of you guys might be sitting there thinking, I need all five of them. <laughs> well, guess what? God is not a man that he should lie. And he's, he, he doesn't just, you know, just give a little bit of salvation. No, he's come to restore all things that were lost, the Bible says. And so I want us to stand together right now. And as we pray right now, I just want to ask you, if you're in here today and you're like, I need God to restore my life. Nothing seems to be working. I just want to pray over you first. Lord, I just thank you that today you're creating a supernatural 180. I declare today that people are going to walk out of this house differently than the way that they walked in. From the inside out, you're bringing restoration to life. If you need God to restore your soul, maybe your, your thought life is all kind of jacked up. And you're thinking, man, I don't know what in the world's going on. I'm proclaiming over you. Yes, you. You are not too far gone. You are not too far gone. You are not too far gone. God is well able to restore your thought life. God is well able to restore your soul. And, you know, I'm even talking about soul ties, uh, connections you've made with other people that have been haunting uh, to you, have been destructed, destructive to your present because what you experienced with them in your past. Lord, I pray healing right now over soul ties. I pray for divine disconnects where we need to release people, forgiveness where forgiveness needs to be released in Jesus' name. And thirdly, just people that need their health restored. If you're in here this morning and you're like, man, I need my health restored, would you, just, would you just lift your hand? If you're sick or you're in pain or you've got something going on in your physical body, can you guys look around real quick? There's quite a number of people that have their hand up. And if, if you have your hand up, um, just leave your hand up. And if you're standing next to them, can you just put a hand on their shoulder just gently? We want to pray for them right now and believe that God is bringing restoration. And we're not leaving you guys out that, that you need restoration in your reach or restoration in your vision. We're not leaving you out. We, we proclaim and declare right now in Jesus' name there's restoration of reach and vision as well. But Lord, we pray right now for every single physical body that is sick and in need of a miracle that you would be healed now in the name of Jesus by the precious blood of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. We declare your kingdom come and your will be done right now in their body as it is in heaven. It is God's will to heal you. Healing, 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 healing in the name of Jesus. Be made whole right now in the name of Jesus. Be made whole right now in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody said amen. 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 May it be so, Lord. May it be so. If you... If you find that you are healed now, like, I, I want to know about it, okay? I want you to find me after this, uh, after this service. I want to close now because I want to make time for us to get, 
get out and for the next crew to get in because our parking is atrocious. We need restoration over the parking in Jesus' name. Father, Father. <laughs> Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You skateboarded here from the top of the hill. But if you were healed, can you find one of our, our team members? And if you would like more prayer, can you find one of our team members? Some of these guys here, they're on the front row. They, they, some of them, Grace has got a badge on. She'll pray for you. Um, but, man, I'm grateful for the restoration. Amen. Anybody else in here this morning grateful? Lord, we're thankful for the restoration. Can we just lift up one more shout to Jesus? Awesome. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.